Welcome to our weekly three-minute therapy podcast. Three-minute therapy refers to Albert Ellis's REBT. And Kevin, would you give us a uh, brief on REBT? Sure. Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy is, uh, is it was uh, founded by Albert Ellis. And the, the big idea is that our unhealthy negative emotions are caused by rigid demands that we place on our life, circumstances, ourselves, and just about anything. These beliefs usually take the forms of sh- the form of uh, shoulds and musts. I-, I will say though that quite often uh, they feel more like attitudes, like something has to happen or it must happen. With these beliefs, we uh, basically make ourselves miserable in our lives, and so what we do is we strive to de-escalate these irrational beliefs back down to healthier preferences. So that's it in a nutshell. Yes, yes. And uh, one other thing I wanted to mention in terms of irrational beliefs and what characterizes them is that they often start with a should or a must, but then that, since it's an absolute, it leads to global evaluations. I should do well, and if I don't, I'm no good. You should treat me well, and if you don't, you're a rotten person. And life must go well, and if it doesn't, my life is miserable and uh, I'll be depressed forever, so I might as well commit suicide. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are the three main musts, as uh, you're saying, Kevin, and they end with these global evaluations. Now, sometimes you may be aware more of your global evaluations and not so much of your musts and shoulds, and if that's the case, then target those and question and uh, dispute those and abolish your global evaluations. You're never no good as a person. You're just an imperfect human. And someone who treats you poorly is not a rotten person. They are just an imperfect human. And if life doesn't go well, uh, it's not the end of your life or mean you have to be miserable forever, but rather it just means you have hassles, discomforts, and, uh, and those come and go with all of us. And even if they don't go entirely, you can still get some enjoyment out of life and be somewhat productive if you work on, as Kevin says, uh, disputing the musts and the shoulds that lead to uh, your negative feelings about life. And sometimes they're not from musts and shoulds. Sometimes your negative feelings could be from preferences, but that's something we're going to be discussing in our next podcast next week. But today it's smoking. And as I, you know, if you've been following our podcast, smoking is a behavior and our behaviors come from our thinking. All behaviors come from our thinking, just as all emotions do. And, um, And so our thinking normally with smoking is escalating our preferences into demands. I prefer not to uh, feel frustrated and I could um, escape that with a cigarette. So therefore I absolutely must not feel frustrated and and I have to have a cigarette. 
So that's the basic structure. Uh, there are two other things I want to mention administratively uh, before we give Kevin a chance on this. And that is number one, REBT was developed by Albert Ellis, a brilliant pioneering psychologist in the 50s. And he dramatically and very significantly changed the course of the psychotherapy movement from the more psychoanalytic, talking about your parents, type of therapy to more present current day uh, ideas in your head that's causing your emotional disturbance. Situations like your parents abusing you uh, many years ago cannot make you disturbed now, only your thinking now about it can. Your emotions come from your thinking. And also I wanted to thank Chris Rossini, who's always the man in the uh, background behind the curtain, who keeps these podcasts going with his technical skills. Uh, so thanks for that, Chris. Okay, uh, Kevin, did you wanna say anything further about smoking, what causes it, and what can be done about it? What causes it? I, uh, I, smoke, for, I smoke quite a bit. Uh, what causes it is putting the cigarette in your mouth and lighting the cigarette. That's what causes it right. in the first <laughs> place. <laughs> uh, but all, all kidding aside, I heard an interview with Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, I want to say it was around 2006 or seven, thereabout, on Sirius. And uh, the interviewer asked Ozzy Osbourne, you know, the rock star, what uh, of all the drugs he quit smoke, he quit using. What was the most difficult? And he said, "Cigarettes, man. Cigarettes were the most difficult." And uh, if you go to uh, self-help meetings uh, that deal with addictions, you'll see a lot of people standing outside smoking their cigarettes. Uh, interestingly, smoking, uh, while the consequences of smoking are not as dramatic as, say, those of using methamphetamine or anything, any of those substances, uh, smoking causes more deaths in the United States than every other substance being used combined every year. So it is a very serious uh, health problem. Now, uh, I remember when I quit smoking, the hardest thing for me, and of course it is a should or a must, but it didn't feel that way. It felt more like an urge. And if I could make it verbal, it would have sounded like I have to have a cigarette. I must have a cigarette. It's an intense craving that comes along. And uh, I've quit smoking twice. And uh, it took a few attempts each time to do it. Uh, e even though the second time I had nicotine replacement therapy, which I hardly recommend to take the edge off, it still took about, I want to say five to seven attempts to break free from it each time. So. Okay. It's very a tough good. One. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you said it feels more like an urge. Uh, mm -hmm. That's exactly right. It starts with an urge or a craving usually. Mm -hmm. And then when you have the urge or your craving, you, you have an idea such as, I prefer to escape my urge and craving because it's uncomfortable, mm -hmm. but I won't smoke because the disadvantages outweigh the advantages. But then you escalate, I prefer to satisfy my urge into I must, I absolutely have to, I need to, to uh, squelch my urge, so I'll have a cigarette. So as with all emotional and behavioral problems, the structure is the same. Uh, you start with a preference and 
we have an infinite amount of preferences in our lives, but then we escalate some of them into demands and that gets us into trouble, emotional or behavioral trouble. A preference can some, sometimes, I think, uh, some, it's like, kind of like, I felt oftentimes like my own brain would betray me. Uh, it would start, it could start with a preference. Like I really wish I could have a cigarette, but that's, uh, that's of course bad for me. But then as I keep entertaining the idea, as I, get, it's, I start to awfulize and say things, oh, it's terrible that I can't have a cigarette or I should be able to just have one. And that ought to be, that ought to be fine. Of course, uh, it, it could be a slippery, it could be a slippery slope, but the objective is to keep it as a preference. I'd prefer to, I'd prefer to have a cigarette, but I know that's a very bad idea for me health-wise. And also keep the awfulizing out Abolish the awfulizing. It's awful, terrible, or horrible that I'm not going to be smoking anymore. And uh, look at it as advantages and disadvantages. It's disadvantageous in some ways. I'm not going to be smoking because I it helped me relieve stress and helped me distract me from things. Felt good. So it's disadvantageous in that way not to smoke, but it's not awful, terrible, or horrible. And as with musts and shoulds, awfuls are fictions. Nothing is awful, 101% bad in our life. Uh, the close you can get is 99.9% bad if you're dying in pain. And then uh, soon you'll be out of your pain uh, when you die. Also, uh, another reason why even a long, painful death is not awful is because it's, and it's not 101% bad because it could have been worse. There are certain advantages. You could have been in pain for a year or two years or three years instead of just the last six months. So uh, even awful is a fiction. Um, another, yeah, go oh, on, Kevin. Go oh, on. I was going to say another important component. Uh, you know, we, we practice REBT, there's the behavioral interventions that are important as well. Uh, one thing I find for me that if I, if I want to keep something out of my life, like, uh, like right now, uh, I, I avoid uh, sugar like the plague. I avoid, uh, I avoid smoking. I avoid drinking alcohol. There are certain behavioral things I can do to keep those things away from me. I can First of all, not have it in my house. That's probably the first thing. Another thing is uh, quite often when we're talking about uh, substances or addictions, there's a ritual that goes with it. Uh, I had a specific place on my back porch where I would smoke. Taking that away, uh, developing other behaviors in place of it, like uh, maybe meditation, doing some deep breathing exercises, but more than, more than anything, reminding myself that I can get through this craving. And it, it was, for me, at least in the beginning, very much a craving by craving uh, thing until the cravings just began to become mere thoughts. It was a, more of a preference. I wish I could have a cigarette instead of I've got to have one. So uh, that once it, be, once it became a thought, it becomes much easier to resist. But I dare say that the thoughts of smoking are going to be with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, that's true with uh, some people with various addictions. Mm -hmm. They never 
uh, get away from that urge or that, that tendency. But uh, some, of, some of those people have been very successful in not giving into the urge as Kevin has been. Um, also, Kevin uh, mentioned the strategy, uh, which I call the problem separation technique. And what that means is we have emotional problems. And in this case, it's the shoulds and musts that create our behavior. And that's the behavioral, uh, we have behavioral problems or behavioral disturbance. And then uh, we have practical problems. Uh, so a practical problem is how can I avoid smoking? And Kevin mentioned uh, some ways that he does it. Uh, not sit on the back porch. Is that right? I, do, I rearranged my place back there. So it's not a, a small smoking lounge. Right. But the other thing is my, my wife absolutely hates the smell of cigarette smoke. And so uh, she made it a real pain in the ass for me to uh, smoke. Uh, I would, she would tell me, you know, if you're going to go out there, you're going to change your shirt. You're going to wash your hands and brush your teeth before you come sit down next to me. So it became a real hassle for me to smoke. So yeah. You could say she hassled that part of the strategy where she hassled me right out of it. Yeah. And uh, some of that is called stimulus control in uh, behavior therapy. And that is if there are any stimuli that make it more likely you're going to smoke, then you change that, like rearranging the, the furniture when the furniture is set up to make it easy and tempting to smoke, mm -hmm. or not having any cigarettes in the house, or there's a... Um, there's a group called, I think it's Overeaters Anonymous or Smoke Enders. And what they have you do is you wrap uh, some paper around the cigarette, the cigarette package, and then you put rubber bands around the paper, and then you stick between some of the rubber bands some message to yourself, like I'm not smoking today. Mm -hmm. uh, another type of stimulus control is what a client of mine used when he uh, gave up smoking and he used procrastination. Mm. So he would tell himself, well, I do want a cigarette right now, but I'll smoke in 10 minutes. And then when 10 minutes passed, he would say, I'll still want a cigarette. I'll smoke in another 10 minutes. Mm. And that's sort of a uh, reformulation of the Alcoholics Anonymous one day at a time. He was taking one 10 minutes at a time. So yeah. that's another practical approach you could take with smoking. That's so, yeah. Hard. That's a creative use of procrastination because we, we all have a tendency to procrastinate. If I can just hold it off for 10 minutes. And then uh, wouldn't you also say that when we delay like that, it gives more time uh, for the rational mind to kick in and think about what's going on. Uh, I notice for me, the irrational mind is always right there when there's an activating event. It's, uh, it's right there. But with uh, the rational mind, it quite often takes a little bit more time and skill to bring. So if I simply delay acting on the urge, it gives me a chance to start thinking a little bit more rationally. Well, what are your thoughts about that, Michael? Oh, yes, I agree that if you can take uh, some distance from the uh, 
event of smoking, when, uh, between that and the urge to smoke, the preference or the must, then that gives you some time to think and reconsider. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I think that's a good approach. Okay, uh, that was my last word. Did you have anything else you wanted to add or mention? No, just uh, just a reminder. If uh, smoking still is a serious problem in the United States, uh, if uh, if every day four seven forty sevens fully loaded with people crashed to the ground in the United States, uh, that would be a problem, I would think. And I would think that we would ground all aircraft until we figured out why that was happening. That's about the number last I knew of the number of people who are dying every day in this country due to cigarette smoking. What was the number, Kevin? It's, uh, it's the equivalent to, to about four fully loaded 747s. Which is how so many deaths? I'm not sure the exact amount, but it's, <laughs> it's a lot, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, something, it's something that we, we really do, I think it's important for us to focus on as a society because it still is, still is a problem. Yeah. It's responsible for lots of preventable death. And really, as a former smoker, you don't get anything out of it really, except maybe a little bit of relaxation or just the, the extinguishing of the urge to smoke. So Yeah, yeah. And there are many disadvantages. And you mentioned a host of them. So another, uh, what you can do is you can list the disadvantages of smoking and read the list three or four times a day or write it even better, write the disadvantages because everything we do, we do because we decide the advantages outweigh the disadvantages from deciding to get out of bed in the morning to getting to bed at night. We've decided in some tacit, some subconscious way, the disadvantages of not doing it outweigh the advantages or the advantages of doing it outweigh the disadvantages. So uh, you can reverse that by reminding yourself of the disadvantages, writing out a list or reciting the disadvantages to yourself many, many times. Okay, anything else you wanted to add as a former smoker, Kevin, and an expert here? <laughs> no, not at all. Just the best way to quit. The best way not to get out of it is just not to start. That's my best recommendation. Yes. yes. Dumbest decision I ever made. I was 14. So don't oh. do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that could go for every day. Don't mm -hmm. start. You've mm -hmm. been smoking for a while. Don't start smoking today. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks again, Kevin and Chris Rossini for participating in this and um, we are here every week pretty much so uh, tune into the three minute therapy podcast and also I have uh, written a number of books one is called three minute therapy and I have a couple of chapters on addictions there so that might be useful and um, three is spelled out in three minute therapy if you liked our talk about smoking, please give us a like or a thumbs up below. Uh, comment, agreement, disagreement, questions, suggest subjects. We uh, discuss many 
uh, subjects that are suggested by our viewers. Volunteer, we'd love to have another volunteer. It's too few and far between where you come on with, our, with us on a podcast and you get free expert rationally motive behavior therapy. What could be better than that? And uh, donate to Patreon to help support us and subscribe to the Three Minute Therapy Podcast to stay on the rational side of life.